What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations, Jerome Moore. And as always, all of our guests are special. This guest we've been trying to get for about like a year. <laughs> uh, we have Freddie O'Connell, who is the representative of District 19 on our wonderful Metro Council here in Nashville, also known as the Transit Guy. And so uh, we're going to talk about that, too. Uh, Freddie, how you been? How you doing? <laughs> I've been good. I got nobody to blame but myself for, <laughs> for my crazy schedule. So, no, it's, it's good. I'm glad to finally be here. The pizza is this your first time having three one two? Oh, of course not. Because you, you live. You, <laughs> I've been you, there yeah. since the day they opened. I mean, that's that's what we walk to three one two. You know, so you walk and eat it, and you walk it off. You well, know? no. So it's actually they're a great story. I mean, this these are folks that came new to the community. They opened three one two. They were the first people to say yes back when we were doing neighborhood stuff. We would do a neighborhood event. They would rush in to be sponsors of that. They, they came in and started immediately investing in the community, and then they opened you know, around the corner a little chocolate shop. I mean, it was just like, it's a great story. So, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of 312. And they said yes to us. Like, they didn't hesitate. That's, that's who they are. In the middle of a pandemic, when many, like, pieces, like, <laughs> like Joey's just closed down. Yeah. Yep. Geno's East closed down. Yep. Well, and these folks, too. I mean, we got a few folks in the neighborhood where it's like that's the benefit of having some. Like, if you can open your doors and be there for people, Big Al's Deli, Big Al, 312. These were places that when we got snowed out mm -hmm. and you could not leave the neighborhood in a vehicle, you could walk to one of these places and they'd feed you. I mean, we got mm -hmm. pizza at 312 during one of those, those snow Snowstorms, outs. Yeah. Well, Freddie, we want to get into all of your deep, darkest secrets on Deep Dish Conversations. But, um, you know, I know people know, like, the, the council Freddie, you know, possibly even the tech Freddie, you know. <laughs> but I want to get a little deeper than that. Um, my favorite thing that I currently know about you is you a native like me. Yeah. Born and raised here in Nashville. Yep. You know, you went to NBA. We can talk about that a little later. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, man, how, how was growing up here in Nashville for you? What was that experience like? Completely different than it is now. But, you know, what was that like for you, you know, as a native, as yeah. a unicorn? Right. So it was, it was different than now, for sure. Uh, I think, one, the pace was a little slower. But I also think maybe the opportunities were uh, were fewer, right? I mean, now, as, as a father of two girls, like, the opportunities for kids, whether it's in our park system, you know, we didn't have a Frist Art Museum growing right. up, right? Um, and so we've taken them there to experience art. Um, you know, the Nashville of my childhood didn't have a real zoo, per se, right? I mean, so it's like right. <clears throat> these things, I mean, honestly... Even back then, Cheekwood was a place, but it's not like a place it is right now. Right. I mean, there's just, there's all this stuff. And I think that's, I, you know, maybe for me, that's been one of the most exciting changes is to be back 
watching two younger people now experience childhood in a city that I, you know, right. it's not like we didn't have anything to do. It's also, you know, it's a it's a pretty different environment. Um, right. Half the time growing up, my brother and I, we'd walk out the back door, hop on a bike, and just be out in the neighborhood right. for the entire weekend. You right. know, I mean, it'd just be like we'd ride down alleys, we'd... You know, we had train tracks sort of at the end of our neighborhood. I mean, we walked down those train tracks for miles. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, you know, a scene from Stand By Me sometimes, you know. Um, <laughs> and that's another interesting thing is I just think parents would just be a little more open to yeah. letting you walk out the door and not really knowing where you were, right? right. And we had some kids in the neighborhood, and, and we stayed together. I mean, it was like a, a little group of folks, but... Would I do that with my girls today? Uh, probably not. I'm probably going to be like, you want to go to the park? I'll come with you. You know. You know what's funny now is that, you know, growing up, you know, it's like, hey, you don't, you know, don't talk to strangers. Don't, definitely don't get in the car with strangers. But we have a whole now, like, shared car ride where <laughs> that's exactly what you do, right? And parents, you know, sitting there like teenagers on in these Ubers and Lyfts, and you can track them, but, like, that would never, would have never happened. Couldn't even fathom that. Well, I mean, that's a great other thing. I'm, you know, yes, my, my uh, starting in high school, going on through college, every, every bit of my career has had something digital about it. Mm-hmm. But growing up, you know, digital was basically having an NES. Right. You know, I mean, that, and it, it was connected to a TV, mm-hmm. like an old school TV. <laughs> There was no online, yeah. right? And I just, I think that's fascinating is the idea of identity online mm-hmm. that we did not have to think about. Right. And in some ways, I prefer that. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, if I had, if my friends were thinking about the TikToks they needed to make on the weekend or whatever, or do, you know, all this stuff that people do, like going out to be a YouTuber before you even, you know, graduated high school, People are are doing it. They're they're making a go of it. But I actually I I sort of liked coming of age before that entire playground with the entirety of humanity out right. there. Right. It's sometimes it's nice to just have the playground be the literal playground. Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. The so playground is expanded. Yeah. yeah. And now another thing that's interesting and different is. I don't think I rode a city bus until I was back as an adult. You know, um, it was just interesting because we had our bikes Mm -hmm. and we could roam the neighborhood and there were streets that, you know, I mean, there, there were like invisible fences. (laughs) Like my, my mom was always like, don't cross West end. You know, it's like, okay, all right. That's the big one. Um, but you know, we, we kind of had a little bit of a range of motion on bikes, but then, um, everything else, it was kind of like traffic wasn't as bad. Mm -hmm. You know, you just didn't have as many people um, right. in the city at the time. And so we would drive everywhere. And then, like, you know, when when I turned 16, when my brother turned 16, right, like, we always had access to a car. There was, sometimes it was a beater of a car. Right. Like we, had a, we had an old, like, God, what year was this? It was like a 1982 Plymouth Champ or something. I mean, it was, <laughs> that was a special car. That was the kind of car where... Uh, the sunroof would leak and you would have to use your ice scraper to scrape off the windshield on the inside, right? I mean, that was on, like, the, inside. on the inside. And and you'd have to put down 
after it rained, you'd have to put a pillow down on the driver's seat because it was wet. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was, it was like, you know, so we had a car. But, I, but then it was interesting to come back and start using transit. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's funny because our girls love transit. Yeah. You know, like they want to take the bus, mm-hmm. right? And, and so very often we can't just with the, the busy calendar of two girls and stuff that they're doing right. around the city. But uh, no, I mean, I had a pretty good childhood. You know, it's, I, I went to, back then Aiken Elementary was K through six, but um, got a great education there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my mom actually started teaching at MBA the year I was going to start seventh grade. And that's, that's kind of how that door opened because right. you get, you just get to go right. uh, if you're, if your parents are on the faculty and, and, and you're a boy. Right. Um, but <laughs> probably uh, the biggest thing, right? <laughs> probably the biggest thing, but uh, no, I mean, that's also, I mean, that's been fascinating to look at too, is like schools that back then, I think a lot of parents were looking to avoid have now become these pockets of celebration. And yeah. I mean, we're, we're about to be a Metro schools family twice over. Um, and you know, there were times like our older daughter is going to West end middle. Right. And that is a school. I don't think my parents were like, they would, they were in some ways, I think, relieved to mm-hmm. have the opportunity for us to go to MBA right. back in that, in that time. And so right. that journey of education and thinking about that on the side of growing up here and being involved in that and then coming back and working on a lot of those issues, right? Because once right. I got over to, um, to Salem time, I mean, we've been over there 15 years ago, you know, it was like, all right, investing in the community, right. spending a lot of time in that NAACP office and working on education issues um, and seeing it through a totally different lens than right. I saw it through when I was growing up. Right. Um, but it, I mean, that's all the stuff that accumulates when you are in your hometown and right. you're, you grow up there, maybe you even spend a little time away mm-hmm. and you loop back and you just see things differently. So like now you're in tech and, but also like very heavily involved in the community. When did that awakening happen for you when you realized like you cared about education, you cared about trans, you cared about, you know, a just and equitable city like that you're from? And when when did that happen from, you know, going to college and then, you know, coming back? Where did where was that awakening happen, especially as a white man, you know? <laughs> when did that happen? I've thought about this a lot and I don't know that there was a single moment of epiphany, right? I don't, I don't know that there was a like, whoa, you know, just wake up one day and, and see the world differently. I feel like, you know, I can trace back a, a few different things maybe. Um, in high school, we had a service club and I got pretty invested in that. Um, again, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily know how to put my finger on why, but I, I mean, maybe there is just this, uh, a little bit of an implicit sense of oh I'm in I'm in this place of extraordinary privilege right right? and the service aspect of that has to be at the forefront I mean right so started doing that that brought me into um, Charlie Strobel soup kitchen Mm. right across the river Right. right so that that had me going to East Nashville in a different context than I had grown up in you know we grew up in West Nashville right um and it was a really revealing experience because you start to learn very quickly there 
how complicated everything is at the intersection of housing <coughs> and poverty and race right. and the complexities that get layered on that, like mental illness and addiction right. and you know domestic scenarios that that play out badly. Um, and then you know going to college uh, was. It was just a little bit of a separation. And I, I think I, I don't know, the whole time, um, even those early days online, right? It was interesting because you started to see some exposure of ideas coming on the very early phase of the right. World Wide Web. Like that, that, was, that had already started. I mean, we, did, we weren't all the way into Google and Amazon and all that stuff. Um, right. But you had Netscape and you had, you know, Yahoo was out there and you could see ideas and, and get some exposure to that. And I think, um, I think it's it, the idea of what what could make the world better was mm-hmm. always something that resonated with me. Just that idea right. of like, hey, you see something that doesn't seem quite right. What are the what are the steps you can take right. uh, towards something better? And right. so I got back to town and uh, got pretty plugged in at the National Peace and Justice Center. Interestingly, that was also like there were a little the journey was a little bit connected in the sense of some of the organizations that I plugged into then were tied to another part of the story that we we may talk about, which is the period of life in which, you know, after growing up and always having access to a car, starting to make some choices that were different later in life. Right. And so, you know, organizations like Walk by Nashville maybe one of the most transformative organizations I got involved in when I had started riding the bus was this organization that kind of faded away a few years ago called Partners in Transit. Okay. And it was really, you know, now you have Music City Writers United. Um, They were a little bit like that in that it was trying to advocate for the ridership community. And it was an organization that brought ridership directly into contact with leadership at what was then Nashville MTA. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There wasn't, was it an aha moment? No, it was, it it was just kind of steps along the way. And sometimes it was personal experience and sometimes it was almost more, um, you know, the, the almost philosophical, uh, sense of, Hey, what, what are the, the actual steps of things that we can do together to just make things right. slightly better. Growing up, did you think that you would be doing the work that you're doing now in community? Because like, you know, cause you look, you turn around, look around like, and like, I went like, dang, you know, your, your peers started to change and you know, like, <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, no, you know, once I got into computers, right. I mean, I, I figured, I'd be retired by 30. Right. <laughs> like, okay. Um, that obviously did not happen. Um, but it's a, no, I, I could never have imagined. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't a bone in my body when I was younger that thought someday I'm going to run for office. Now right. I've met people that it's like, they know. They know. Yeah. I mean, it's like that person who's on student council in elementary school. Right. You know, it's and like student government in college. Right. And they, they, right. Is they setting themselves up like it's expected. I, you know, I knew some people both at MBA and elsewhere in the city that did like debate in right. high school. And I mean, they, it was like, okay, yes. these are, these are some folks that are going to go to Washington DC and right. they're, if they don't run for office, they're going to do something like right. you know, work in 
politics and policy and whatever. That was that was not me. Right. <laughs> you know. What made you decide like, hey, you know, running for council is something that, you know, I can do and be good at it and best serve my community. It was a mix of things and again, a lot of them are what you just experience in daily life, right? So again, we moved to Salem Town 15 years ago. Why did we move to Salem Town? I had, by being car free for three and a half years, saved enough for a down payment on a house. But I didn't have a car. Right. My girlfriend didn't have a car. <laughs> so she had just gotten into Meharry. Okay. And we had to be close to campus. Right. Because she was riding her bike or taking the bus or sometimes even walking. Um, and so we wanted to be within a range where we could do those things. Right. And so we wound up in Salem Town. So once you're in Salem Town, right, especially back then, mm -hmm. it's a neighborhood that was just around the corner from the Jefferson Street Corridor. Right. So I, Sharon Hurt gave me a wonderful introduction to Jump and Jefferson Street and the work they were doing mm -hmm. there. I mean, as I mentioned, I, I got pretty involved at the time with NAACP because you want to you want to learn the community right so there's just it's the curiosity that draws you into a community and finding out the history of neighborhood organizations right. in the area and all that you know so uh, let me think about this this would have been about a year after we moved to Salem town it was one of those moments where you think you're being pranked where a senior advisor from the mayor's office calls me and says, do you want to be on the MTA board of directors? And I still remember I was, <laughs> I was at work and I was like, I mean, seriously, it's like you start to look around for the hidden cameras. Like, is this, <laughs> is this supposed to be a reaction shot? I was like, yeah. Cause I think they had heard a few things about my story. Right. So, um, I had done, I was relying on transit at that time, and I had done um, a big letter writing campaign, and I tried to get folks in zip codes across Davidson County because we saw the fuel crisis, right? And I didn't want transit cuts to impact the like where we were because we had just reached this point where there was a baseline. We had new vehicles. Mm -hmm. We had a bike rack on every bus in the fleet. Like we had kind of hit this this new plateau of, of service delivery for MTA. And so I did this letter writing campaign and I think they wanted somebody on the board that could speak to these issues. And so I said, yes. Uh, and so I started doing that. So I arrived in Salem town and had started to level up um, my civic involvement already. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't long before people turned around and said, you know a little bit about the way the city works. Do you want to do some neighborhood leadership? Right. <laughs> so yeah. I found myself, you know, it snowball effect. It snowballed. We built relationships. The Metro Action Commission mm -hmm. uh, still has a presence in the Fear School Building. It's mostly Head Start now, but it used to be their headquarters. We built a relationship with them. The Nashville Rescue Mission has had their women and children's campus there in Salem Town for longer than we've been there, so right. literal decades. Um, you know, we built a relationship there. Uh, St. Paul's Lutheran was on the corner. They had been doing food distribution into Cheatham Place. So we, mm -hmm. you know, we built some relationships with MDHA. Um, and so by, and then I had worked on, again, looking through fear and a few other things, I had started to work on some education stuff. We built a relationship with uh, the leadership at Buena Vista Elementary. Right. Um, by the time Erica Gilmore was finishing her second term, I expected to be supporting whoever was going to come out. But as that conversation 
was happening, I was looking around and several key folks in the community said, you ought to run for council. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm on, I didn't have to run to be on the MTA board. Somebody just <laughs> right. asked me. This right, was right. this was the best Campaign, way to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, all I had to do was you know show up to answer a few questions at a council meeting, and now I get to really have a positive impact on the way we deliver transit. Um, and uh, but you know, 2014 kind of draws to a close, and th- those conversations are getting a little louder. I pulled out a map. I was like, wait a second. This goes down to Edge Hill. Right. I grew up going to that community, you know, the, the community center where the pool is. Went swimming there in the summers. I had learned to play piano at W.O. Mm-hmm. Smith School of Music. Um, and so I felt like I – and then transit had – had me in the heart of the community in downtown because right. so much of that, like the business community has, mm-hmm. has long advocated for transit. The, um, I think for, uh, until recently, I think leadership in the city was on, on a consensus that this is something we needed to advance. Right. And uh, it just, it finally all added up. I was like, okay, you know what, I'll do this. And then we just went out and hustled. Man, that's a that's a that's an amazing journey. The snowball effect—you just beat the right place at the right time, doing the right stuff. I mean, <laughs> if <laughs> the real kernel of this is, you know, again, like the the long and winding road. It's like meeting somebody in college who had had a childhood dream of being a doctor, who also went off on a detour came back around, right. then went and did that work to do pre-med and then gets into med school and where Meharry and literally because we did not have a car, we were close to campus and now <laughs> not I'm having council. a car led to this. This, that, is, this is like not having a car, not having a car and place. having a girlfriend who decided to go be a doctor. You know, that's those, those are the two key ingredients. A lot of interesting things have happened and been said about our council here in Nashville. Um, you know, I could, you know, if I had a dart, I could just throw, I'm, we could we could name many things <laughs> on the council. Um, and just within the city of Nashville issues. And so um, I'm just going to start it off like this. You know, we talking about, we just had uh, today, actually, you know, the mayor gave his, you know, state of the city speech and, all that. I haven't. I didn't get a chance to catch it, but all of it's on his on his website. Every point, everything is on there. Um, it's budget time. <laughs> it's budget time, which you know the mayor sends his recommendation. It goes to council. You know, you all do y'all thing. Um, a lot of hot topics around this is, of course, is always police funding, public safety. Let's just call it public safety. A lot of people focus on police policing and public safety, education. Um, you know. Hopefully transit in there somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, you know, you all just had a very, you know, controversial vote around LPRs, license plates and readers. So the you know, the pulse of the council um is high, it's beating fast. Mm-hmm. Um and elections for the council is next year, mm-hmm. twenty twenty three. So this is this is crucial times in Nashville these next two years with judicial elections. Um <clears throat> Mayoral elections, council elections happening next year, governor election and is all that. So 2022, 2023, you know, um, where do you think we're at as a city, um, especially in the community, as far as like the unity and, um, you know, yeah, let's use unity around a lot of these issues 
um, that affect all of us, albeit on a different level, but we're all affected by it. It's a it's a big, important, and difficult question, right? I think <clears throat> my sense is a few different things, right? Um, one, I really do think politics itself changed in some ways in 2016 when it was almost like on a national level, people just got a new type of permission to be ugly to one another, right? Uh, like we've never seen. Right. That has continued, right? I mean, that is, that is still today where it's like, oh, we're all a little more comfortable than we probably ought to be being keyboard warriors. I mean, I have to check myself sometimes, right? right? It's like, oh, I could say a snarky thing. Well, you know what? I also don't have to. Right, yeah. Um, that plays out in council. I mean, this, this council probably more than ever before is online, mm-hmm. very engaged in social media, and so is more of our constituency than yeah. probably ever before. And yeah. it spans everything. It's all viewpoints from liberal to conservative. It's right. ages from young folks, high school up right. through, I mean, you know, literally true. My mom was on Facebook before I was. You know? <laughs> um, and sometimes those interactions are positive. I mean, I feel like I have tried my very best to use whatever platform, whatever reach I have to put mm-hmm. out the best information I have available. And sometimes it's to lead on you know discussions that I think are important that it, it may be about the public argument more than here is what we're learning right. but we also I mean 2020 was a year from start to finish of rolling crisis right? right I mean a tornado where the like that very week the first cases of COVID dropped in middle Tennessee right and that's that's cast I mean that's all happened so there's there's this sort of specter of covid looming out here which is so difficult because it it put our physical presence with one another that Mm -hmm. ability to gather together uh in such jeopardy for so long and some people are still not comfortable with it you know i mean it's 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 tricky and so those that's that set of personal decisions that plays out across an entire city of i might i might prefer not just that I'm not going to go to the restaurant, but nobody should be going to the restaurant or the club or whatever. Right. And I might prefer that everybody going to the grocery store has a mask or right. that school stay virtual versus go in person, right? Mm-hmm. Those are tough, tense moments when public health is at play. And COVID itself has been such a mysterious illness, right? right. Like who's going to wind up with long COVID? Who's right. going to have exotic symptoms and who's going to have a cold, right? right? I mean, we just don't know. You don't know. Um, and... I also think it's incredibly jarring for a city that is a strong executive city to lose a mayor midstream, right? to elect a mayor you know, in a special election, and then to have another mayor defeat that person at our next... I mean, three mayors in three years is a right. lot. It is a lot uh, to have to govern against. You have three different sets of staff, three different sets of policy priorities, and then you go straight from all of that volatility on governing to this whole thing of well, COVID. Yep. To your point, unity has been hard to come by. Yeah. I think in the past year, really, um, 
there is a unity that is starting to come back that is, I think people want to have hope again. Right. People want to feel good about the city instead of bad about the city. Right. And that's that's going to be a tough journey back because we're still growing. Right. Growth is hard. It yeah. is hard to get all that stuff right. It is hard to make sure that uh, construction isn't keeping everybody up at night or blocking mm. roads all over the city or, um, you know, I mean, today, I, this morning I was over at the, um, you know, a, a march for uh, safe workplaces. I mean, unfortunately, right, some of this growth is having a, a deadly impact on mm. workers, or, right? Yeah. And so you got to do, you got to manage all of those parts of growth. Then there's the side effects of traffic or like watching the way our entertainment district on lower Broadway has changed through the years and party buses and all this stuff, short-term rentals and all this stuff. Displacement. Displacement. Yeah. Right. So then, then now we're talking about affordable housing. Right. And the East bank. Right. And all this stuff. And it's like, well, if the median house price in Nashville is now up over four hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> yeah, who yeah. can who can buy that right. house? And, right, and, and then on couple with everybody can't get a you know livable wage, which is like like fifty one thousand I think a year. Well, and we know? we got so close to I think building the transit system that the city needs, and and then we've backpedaled away from that so hard that it's going to be i think a challenge to come back to it and that's to me that's that you can't disconnect transit and affordable housing for me because of how i came into my own home right right? like it was literally because i could use transit and have access to a bike that got me there and so for me those two conversations are are inextricably linked um but you know, it, it's hard because if you're out um, on the edge of the county and suddenly in Donaldson and Hermitage and Cane Ridge and Bellevue and Jolton, homes are what they used to cost in Germantown right. 20 years ago. Well, okay. I yeah. mean, what what teacher can go buy a house? Right, yeah. And so the hard part, though, is bringing those prices down or bringing those wages up. Yeah. I mean, doing those things at the same time. It's hard, especially when, if you're a construction company, the sky's the limit here. Like, how do you incentivize them, you know, to lower home building prices to two, 300000 It's hard to do. The, the cost <laughs> of construction has gone up with everything else. And yeah. the other hard part is some of that growth, you know, I... I think it is ultimately good for the city to have um, some high wage jobs here, but if everybody who's moving in is moving out of a market like a San Francisco or a Chicago or New York or DC, markets that have always been more expensive than Nashville and it's not any big deal to buy a $500,000 home. Well, now we're back to where? Yeah. Where's that hundred thousand dollar house? Where's that two hundred thousand dollar house? So we're so my, and this has been my thing about that because I'm all for the growth and opportunities, and you know, you can be optimistic about it. And if you're gonna, you know, you like me, and you're gonna be like, hey, I want to get a piece of this. I'm 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 from here. Uh, I wanna, you know, I wanna I wanna be a part of this, and I see opportunity, have something going. Yay for me. 
However, you know, the soul of a city could definitely leave and be gone. And that's what I'm afraid that may happen if we don't figure out and get this right. We won't get everything right. You know, it's, it's give and take with growth. But I, that's my that's that is my fear that the soul of Nashville will leave, and I think all of these new organizations that have sprung up out of reaction to this change is like proof, like something, like something has to happen, something has to change. Like we get it, we know it's about money, economics, but wait a minute, hold on, like like how can we make sure we protect those? who aren't as ambitious, who aren't as money-driven, who just want their life to be the way it is and not have to change anything too drastically that they already don't do. So that's the thing. You know, my mom was a teacher, Mm -hmm. 40-year career. My dad was a federal employee for most of that period. Um, That's it. It's a a two-income household that on on a good day... uh, kept us in the middle class right right um they weren't you know they weren't hustle culture right right? they they were just let's go put in a good honest day's work let's put you know food on the table Mm -hmm. roof over heads and we ultimately and that was kind of the thing it was like my mom's commitment to us was she was going to make sure we had every uh every educational opportunity we could um, including, you know, figuring out a way for us both to go to college, if that right. made sense for us. Um, and that is harder. What right. they did uh, is harder now. If, right. if, you, if you were a two-income household uh, with two kids in Nashville today uh, <laughs> trying to buy a house and your, your wages were public school teacher or any kind of teacher, really, and government employee like public employee it's a it's It's a different thing it's a different thing it's hard Um, and I don't ultimately I think two things about that is one growth is also giving us new ways to think about it I did a few years ago just maybe right before um, running for office I had done the Nashville downtown home tour for the first time okay what was interesting about that was seeing really extraordinary homes with kids in them because you don't think a lot about kids living downtown right but in big cities that happens all the time right there are going to be some folks in nashville who who don't mind that who might even specifically want that opportunity and so some of this is going to be change in a good way right right? like change in reimagining what's possible in Mm -hmm. our city if you've got access to great parks and your job is around the corner. Right. You may love having a downtown home with a couple bedrooms. Right. And you don't need the yard. Right. Right. That's good. Less good though is if you want to be in a single family home and now you're looking out in other counties, right? And right. and now you're driving in an hour a day. Right. To get to the school that you're not close to that community at all. Right. I mean, that's that is that is what concerns me. And I mean, the hard part is kind of going back to that question about the the vibe of council right now is it's hard to get to some consensus on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like you may have a community that says, look, 
we don't want any more apartments. Right. We don't want any more kind of multifamily right. style homes. Um, and, and, and that's always been like the fascinating thing about me. And I'll, hopefully you can give, give us some insight on this, this balance that you have to have. Because as council members, you know, you all like you're, you all's constituents are those who live in your district. And I think we've seen this with the license places readers. A lot of like, how do you separate what's great for the city and say, hey, this is a tool that, as written, may possibly hurt a specific hurt and harm a specific group of people in our community, right? But also say, well, knowing that my community, my district actually want LPRs, right? How do you how do you hold those two together, right? And and make it make sense for you know everybody to understand, you know, um, because I think some people maybe maybe forget that council members, you all's constituents are to your district, not the whole city, not all districts. It's like if my district nineteen says we want this, me as Freddie O'Connell being the district representative on on council is for I'm their voice, right? I'm speaking through them. So. There's no easy answer to that, right? Because right. there's two different ways to look at it. One thing we do on council is we make land use decisions for our district. Right. That stays in the district. Right. But every now and then, something reaches our desk like that, like LPRs, that is ultimately a citywide choice. Right. right? Like you're not just making a choice for your district to say we're okay on this as a policy. And... At the end of the day, what happens is, <laughs> here, here's what you learn pretty quickly uh, when you are in any kind of decision-making role. A decision is an indication of disagreement. Because mm -hmm. if you didn't have disagreement, nobody would need to make a decision. <laughs> right. Right. And so you've got to figure out, there have been a few moments where also through this, I think... Um, you can hear a thing and you make a choice. Mm -hmm. If somebody says a thing that is wrong, there isn't, you know, like there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a fork in the road. You can hear that mm -hmm. and say, well, this is, this is the community's perspective. Uh, I'm going to go reflect that thing, even though it may not actually represent reality. Right. The other thing is to say, we're going to address that concern but we're also going to acknowledge that, like, here, you have said this thing. Right. Here is the actual piece of information that is, is like, we can, we can cite all of our stuff. Right. And then you can go lead into that space. And I think that's what's really challenging. You know, this, this council in particular, it's very different, right? Every class of council is very different. The, the class of 2015 to 2019 behave differently as a body uh this class is I, and i think part of it too is we got off on such difficult footing i mean we had multiple months of virtual council meetings right i mean literally half the work i do is conversations on the floor or right. in committees and if i can't if i can't do that if i right. can't be physically present with my colleagues and right. have conversations with them get somebody's quick take on an issue that's coming up or hey what about this amendment it's a it's a real challenge and so i think in some ways the richness of the community discussion 
right. has has been a little harder to uh, it's I think for some folks it's been harder to hear um, but uh, you know that that is one of the reasons why I think those citywide issues are more contentious right you can go back to look at at anything that's been difficult or controversial whether it's you know, a property tax increase in the middle of a pandemic, whether it's, hey, are we going to do a soccer-specific stadium? Right. Um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about what is a thing that we could do in the city that would be both popular and good. Right. And the answer is that that list is small. What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, creator and host of Deep Dish Conversations. And I know y'all enjoying this episode, but just real quickly, make sure y'all hit the subscribe button and hit that notification so you can be notified when we drop new episodes and interviews. All right. I appreciate all love and support. And let's get back to this episode. Contentious is a great word. <laughs> I don't know in any, you know, in my time that I can remember, and I know I've, I've been all over the place, like in life in general, different countries and stuff. But this is maybe one of the most contentious like councils that I I have been able to witness, right? Talking about, you know, breakouts with community and in council meetings and you know, Twitter wars and you know <laughs> people are really looking forward to these elections next year. Um uh, and and really really like wanting to shape up and and make our council look different because of decisions there's this narrative out there that i've actually had people on this show say hey the council is not representing the people there are many people on this council that are you know wanting to perpetuate the harm of black and brown folks here they don't really care about where the money goes to goes into in our community whether it's towards you know community organizations violent interruption uh, education, just wraparound services, all of these things, a lot of people don't see our council moving the needle on that. What are your thoughts? And is the council moving the needle on the things that it should be? What is your hope the council can do going forward? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good way to think about it because at the end of the day, if you've got multiple minority communities, we have, I mean, when I got elected in 2015, we were the most diverse council in Metro's history. Mm -hmm. By 2019, we had about half the body was women, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so there, it's like from a, a just, uh, uh, you know, uh, who people are and what their identities are standpoint, there's no question that council is more reflective of the community as a whole today than it was when I was growing up or when you right. were growing up, right? Yeah. Um, that's overall a good thing. But I think that's where, you know, again, I moved into Salem Town. I moved into what was then District 19 and, and has changed a lot. Um, my neighborhood was majority minority. The district as a whole was majority minority. Neither of those things is true today. Right. Now, I still represent a good, like a significant percentage of District 19's voters and residents and constituents are, you know, I've got more black than brown, right? Right. But 
I also have to be mindful of that, that yes, I may be a member of the majority right. as a white male. Right. Um, but that's why I'm also sensitive to when all of the black and brown organizations in this city raise their hands together and say, we don't think this is going to be good for our communities. Right. That makes you sit up and take notice. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm a little surprised because we just haven't seen that level of unity. Last time I remember seeing anything like that was during Nashville for all of us. Okay. Right. And that was the fight against English only. Right. And you saw a lot of organizations align. Right. To say this is like, you know, we are, we are going to unify and say this is going to be bad for the community. Um, So if it had just been say one group, two groups, I think that's a different conversation. Right. It was definitely a little startling to me, though, to watch the council respond in a way that did not seem to take into account fully the concerns of that many organizations right. representing communities of color, representing immigrants right. and refugees, representing different faith traditions, um, you know, representing perspectives of civil liberties. And it's kind of like, did we do enough work to arrive at a compromise that can serve more people? Um, on the whole, though, I mean, I'll say this. Last term, before it became a thing, right. I had gained some familiarity with the problems of mass incarceration as expressed through 37208, the zip code that I live in, right. that I represent a good part of. And what happened was then it really did become a thing. Like this, this Brookings study showed, right, that that zip code was more likely to result in people being incarcerated if you were born there from 1980 to 1986 than any other zip code in the entire United States of America. That's crazy. Ridiculous. So I started some work last term where we found this absurd thing called a jailer's fee. Mm. Uh, It was charging you $44 a day if you were pre-trial incarcerated uh, just for being poor, basically. Yeah. Like basically, if you couldn't bond out, right. the city was going to take out of your pocket $44 a day, put it in the general fund. It wasn't right. even actually a jailer's fee. It was not right. going back to the Davidson County Sheriff's right. Office. We talked to the sheriff. We talked to the criminal court clerk. They said, we don't, we don't get that money. We can't use that money. Right. It, it is going to the operating budget of the city of Nashville. And we, you know, we yeah. said, no, it's not. <laughs> we said, we're going to put that money back in the pockets of people. And the, and the upside of that is that's exactly the kind of reform that you can make that lowers the cost of criminal, the criminal legal system for people who are literally getting exposed to that as a financial penalty before they've been sentenced with anything, exactly. right? Before you even know if they're innocent or guilty, they are literally just not of enough means to bond out. You have right. two people. One of them is wealthy. One of them is poor. They get picked up for the same charge. One of them's going home that night. Right. Yeah, that, that's, you know, whole cash bail, money bail thing is a whole conversation, well, right? so <laughs> I've learned a lot about yeah, that, kind yeah. of stemming from that. Yeah. And it turns out Metro Council 
we don't have the legal authority to do stuff. That's all. I mean, the elections that are happening right now, right. Yeah. Those, those general sessions races, That's what, you want to know where the power is on the criminal legal side of thing? Go look at those general sessions races. And, and know what's crazy about that, you know? Magistrates make the case. <laughs> so and so and that's why like that's why one is 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 crucial to be informed, right? But a lot of people don't know much about the courts until themselves are personally affected by it, right? Um, and or if something happens nationally, you find out you know the surface things, but it's so many integral pieces that go into it. But it's like, well, how do we get ahead of it? How do we even stop that? from happening before a person ends up in court, right? Um, this is why this whole kind of restorative justice things is coming into play and this deterrence, like how we even just deter people from ending up in court or jail. Well, and that's why, again, I look at it, I look at it holistically, right? Mm -hmm. I look at the entirety of the criminal legal system. And some days you can make a fundamental change that lowers the cost for somebody. Right that is literally just a cost of being poor mm -hmm. that probably actually marginally improves public safety outcomes because now this person isn't going through the criminal court clerk's office after whatever their encounter with the justice system has been and effectively getting an invoice, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's, that's money that is now staying in the community right. and probably decreasing the pressure to go commit whatever crime may, you may have been charged with right. regardless, again, of whether you were innocent or guilty. So that's, that is lowering costs, improving public safety outcomes, and sometimes you get to make reforms like that. So we, right. we then did the work after that fee to do more comprehensive fines and fees study, and we carried that across multiple administrations, mm -hmm. right? And again, kept that commitment alive and then did some more work. Right. Councilmember Taylor chaired this 37208 special committee that uh, Vice Mayor Shulman established. And I served on that, and I worked with Councilmember Taylor to get a lot more of those components done. Now, it's hard, because that's not the whole pie. Right. That's a that's a small Slice, piece yeah, of small, that. Yeah, for sure. But I would argue that our work moved the needle. It may not be in the biggest, showiest ways, right? right? It may not be the... Um, that massive headline about how we went and changed everything, but those are system changes, right? right? Those are every single person that has right. come into the criminal legal system since we did that work right. five years ago. Right. Their costs are lower. Right. They're less likely to be back, right? I mean, so that's it's important work. The rest of it is, I mean, again, I, I, I think we have started to take community safety more seriously. We do have... Um, co-response happening now right. it's expanding i think it, it'll be countywide very soon and um, that's you know depending on how you feel about that you know because some people believe police officers shouldn't be involved at all in that but, but think about think about it though yeah we're going from never having yeah. mental health better than nothing better than nothing <laughs> better than nothing so right i i would yeah. call that an it it's not it's not like the needle's not going to the other right. like it's not 180 no. degree right exactly but the needle is definitely I right agree. like and I so agree. i could the hard part about it is if if you want to say why didn't this council fix everything you can say that about anything yeah. anything on the like pit again go right. back to your dartboard throw an issue like right. did we fix affordable housing right no but did we build some tools did we make some progress did we you know and, like and i think that that 
depends on your knowledge of how you understand the power of a council member, right? And what they can well, and can't do. <laughs> <laughs> I've got plenty. We could probably do a whole separate you know, episode and about and so, that. And, and so I think, and, 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 and that's why I think for me, it's, it's, it's really easy for me to have conversations with anybody, regardless of what spectrum I am, because I get it. Like, it, you know, you get these years, these terms, and you're not going to fix everything, right? And as a community organizer, you know, like, it's going to be give and take. You know, sometimes you might get everything that you want. Sometimes you might not get none. And sometimes you might get some. But you got to look at it as, okay, we move forward. And even with the co-response thing, okay, that means there's opportunity. There might only be a mental health response in the, in the future. That's how I look, you know, because we got to look at the data. Let's see what happens, right? And it's, it's better than nothing. And so, um, but we I did think, some pretrial yeah. work. We did <clears throat> some, we did a ton of work on fines and fees. We right. got co-response. I mean, again, it doesn't satisfy a history of harms, but also right. Gideon's Army changed everything by bringing us the report on driving while black in Nashville. Yep. Right? I mean, if you go now today, look at traffic stop data, mm-hmm. the the key piece of evidence that came out of that was saying, if you control for everything else, mm-hmm. black and brown folks are being stopped more, and the crimes are, like, there's no correlation to a greater right. number. It was literally not having any measurable effect on improved public safety. Right. right? And so we changed it. Right. And so now there's less likelihood of just being stopped because of who you are. Right. And safety outcomes are still, right? I mean, honestly, if you look at trends in crime data, we're back to where we were in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, we have have brought, like we went through a period where crime rose. Right. And now we're down to historic lows. I like to say that, you know, Nashville is a segregatedly diverse city. <laughs> right? Um, as a council member, as a resident, as a native, um, how does that affect us moving forward in a lot of these things where you're talking about housing, transit, employment, wages, when we're all in our community bubbles, right? And I grew up in my North Nashville community bubble growing up here. And I had to make an intentionality to get out in, which I think you still have to do. Um, but many people are not doing that, right? So, therefore, we work about, we worried about our community pocket of, you know, hey, this is good for my community. I'm happy for it. I don't know what's going on over there. But, hey, you know, because I'm not connected. I don't have relationships. I don't really think about it. Um, how does that affect Nashville moving forward? Um, in the next decade? That's, that's maybe one of our most important questions, and it kind of comes back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of soul of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of interesting stories from, you know, uh, being a white boy moving into Salem Town. Yeah. Right? And that's interesting yeah. because at first, there's some skepticism when you see something different mm-hmm. in a community, right? Yeah. Um, I've always tried to listen right. since I've done this work, right? It's like you listen before you talk right. because you learn when you listen. Right. Right. Um, now that's not always true. Mm-hmm. You do get some folks who move into a community and suddenly what they want is the community preference. Right. That's a little different. We have to, we have to grapple with that because yeah. we have, 
We not only have people moving into communities they haven't been in previously, we have people coming from outside the city, outside the state, right. and, and having to confront changing preferences and attitudes and responses and, and even how, what, like what we think of as a community. Um, I've always looked to those areas where people are able to draw in a really diverse mix of people. Mm-hmm. Um, like a hard day for me was when Garden Brunch Cafe on Jefferson Street closed. Wow, yeah. Right, because they used to, if you went to brunch there, you'd yeah. see all kinds of folks, young folks, old folks, white right. folks, black folks. I mean, it was like, it was it was a great gathering spot. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's still some places out there and then there's some places that are doing, some, like uh, Keith Caldwell is down at Sea Hubbard now yeah. um, and he's bringing different groups in on the fourth Sunday of every month to have it not just be black church and white church. It's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to come do this together. I actually think one of the most important things Mayor Barry did, it happened one time, but it was, it was pretty revelatory was the real talk uh, dialogue. I mean, a thousand people came out for that, Yeah, but we only did it once. We had one conversation. You know, I think in some ways that's a great, a great series to have. Um, now, too, going back to what I was saying about politics having changed, the when we're this polarized, right? I don't know what to say about that, right? Like we watch, we deal with that on the city and state level, but also sometimes within our communities within mm-hmm. Nashville. I mean, the General Assembly doesn't think much of Metro, right? Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's politically popular for state legislators to do things that harm Nashville's ability to respond to our own constituents. Right. Yep. Preempting everything. <laughs> School funding is yep. up this week, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're going to change the formula so we get even less money. Yep, we got to do more of them. And no end up happening when the city has to do more. Taxes go up. You already know. You already know. It's just, like, just wait. Give it. Give it just a couple years, and that because of the state decisions, right now, whereas this metro schools budget is a little bit less than fifty percent of the budget, mm-hmm. we're probably just a few years away from it being a little bit more than fifty percent because of the state funding changes. Right. right. I mean, that's and then then what happens? Right. Then you put more pressure on transit. Right. On community safety discussions, right. on everything else. I mean, we can't even pick up the trash right now. You think that's going to get easier? It's crazy. What, so, what are, I want to get on, I want, I want to end with, with, with some transit stuff because I have really interesting takes on transit here. But what are some realistic solutions <laughs> that, like, that, like, because it's going to take time, right? It's not going to happen overnight. But what are some like some things, some immediate things that Nashvilleans should be advocating for uh, that may come in front of council um, for us to really start chopping it away at like all of these deficits that we have in so many different uh, kind of social constructs that are affecting all of us on some some type of level. The real answer to that is is kind of it's a it's a two step process. Um, the best thing people could do right now in Nashville, which is one of the last large American cities not to have dedicated funding for transit, mm-hmm. is to speak up loudly for dedicated funding. Now, the hard part is, again, the state is our pathway to that. 
Right. Uh, we're going to have to figure out what we are comfortable with as a community, but something, right? Like if it's a quarter, if it's a half a percent, right, um, of whatever our authorities are to go get that, it is critically important to move that transit element mm -hmm. out of the operating budget where it's competing against schools mm -hmm. and everything else. When you do that, the, my favorite thing about transit as a policy initiative is it is you, you do get into small discussions about like community-based discussions about routes and where a bus stop might be, but fundamentally you can invest in transit and it just goes right. in a way that you can't do with housing mm. or education, right? It's like when you, when you put dollars into transit investment, you get more service right. and more service and ridership. I mean, it's so that dedicated funding element is crucial for our city's long-term success. Um, but a few years ago, just before uh, Mayor Barry prepared to have a conversation about this, WeGo did something very important. They took uh, a snapshot of a few years worth of investments with multiple tiers that you mm -hmm. could explore and they said it, this is again this is key these are the biggest bang for your buck changes you could make that the community would perceive that ridership would feel that would be real investments and you can do it within the existing capacity of the operating budget now it's bigger i mean mm -hmm. it's it that's the hard part is right now the operating budget, it's like you are growing the slice of the pie. Mm -hmm. But we've done this before. And if you did that across a three-year period and mm -hmm. you said we're going to, you know, we've got this blue ribbon commission work that's been done. We've right. got all this performance management stuff that's in effect right now. There is a way to, to grow that slice as, a, as kind of a prelude to the bigger conversation about dedicated funding. And then when you go have that bigger conversation – it's the amount that you're going to pursue, mm -hmm. and then it is that community-based plan. And I think that's the – if I were going forward and if I were, you know, architecting what we did next, it would be to ensure that the plan was community-based, not like, oh, hey, surprise, everyone, we're doing, like, light rail everywhere and a billion-dollar tunnel under downtown. This gets you community-based. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this Jefferson Street cap. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly, you know, that was supposed to be community-based, community-informed. Um, so what? So what does that look like? <laughs> a real community-based kind of model involving the changes that are happening in the city, because we hear it all the time. We may even see, you know, the mayor's office come out, you know, do do listening campaigns and things like that. But then when the results come down, it's like, hold on, wait a minute. You know, I don't think we asked for this or like a decision was already made, it seems like, before, you know, the community was listened to. So is that community-led, is that community organizations being directly hands-on involved? Or is it just voices or is it just consulting or advising? Like, is it is it community organizations getting funding to be a part of the, what, what is that, what does that realistically look like? So let's start here. There's no perfect community conversation. Right. No matter how many people you touch, 
Somebody's going to be Somebody's going to come in on that last day and say, well, I didn't know anything about this. Right. I can't tell you how right. many conversations I've been a part of that have run for more than a year that we did door to door. We went out, canvassed the heck out of things, <laughs> sent postcards, got everybody we, we knew we to miss get. them, though. And at the very end, we missed them. And they don't like it, you know. I mean, so so that's going to happen. That's so going to happen. You just, you got to accept that somebody's wow. not going to know about it right. and somebody's not going to like it. And somebody's not going to like it because they didn't know about it. Right. <laughs> so, right. I didn't know about it. So, yeah. So, they asked me. No. But I think everything you just named is an element of it. Mm-hmm. This is what's wild to me. We talk about community conversation all the time, but the willingness of the city to go knock on a door right. is small. Right. Right? Like sometimes that's what it just takes. Is right. not saying, Well, we we said we were gonna be over here at the library. Right. Why didn't you show up? Right. Everybody who's run for office knows that you show up where people are. Right. That's actually one thing I think Nashville Next got mostly right. They were aggressive about, oh, we didn't hear from some folks up in Jolton and Bordeaux. Let's go find one. Let's go try to learn about why. Mm-hmm. Then let's go make ourselves more available and go do some more aggressive outreach. Right. Um, I think the hard part is where do you start? Do you start with just the the kernel of an idea of we're go- we'd like to come talk to you about transit or do you start with look here are a few concepts mm-hmm. does one of these resonate with you or do you start with look i, I think concepts know? i think <clears throat> for me it's easier for because i go i, I this is how i go into things <laughs> Exposure, right? People don't have the same type of exposure over a lived experience. Some people might go into uh, this. This takes transit. Some people might go into transit and have experienced all different types of transits. I've been able to live in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. China, Paraguay. Like I've seen transit in different ways, right? Uh, work really, really well, and then kind of be like, oh, you know, it's not the best looking, but it's dependable, right? And so, and so. I might have more upfront to say, like, hey, what something may look like. It might be somebody might only transit they know what they've seen here in Nashville their whole life. So they don't know what a, a new concept looks like. So already having something in in laid out with multiple options and multiple people tend to like multiple choice tests better than, you know, short answer, just give me the sense, right? And so I think that would be better and then you can tweak it. But like if people can visually see this is what we have, this is how you'll be affected, this is how it will help you, these are the benefits. I think that tends to better serve community, especially when you have experts or people who've done the work already working on it and, and keeping in mind, like, hey, people want variety, want options, and then you can go from there. Um, and then it might, it might even be a case like, hey, these are the only three or four possible options that we can go based on how our city is, you know, geographically made up. So it's going to be one of these four in some type of way. It might, it might look different, but like, and I think people can respect that. Because some things are just some things. Like, you can't, like, interstates just can't be shifted and moved like that. Streets and roads, things are kind of, a foundation is a foundation. Well, um, I think that's right. And I think, to your point, you may have experts over here Mm -hmm. on the thing that you believe is the right thing to do. Right. (laughs) When you get to the community, 
the people in the community are the experts about the community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what you've got to do mm-hmm. is you've got to find that place where that expertise right. comes together. Right. Right. And say, we understand y'all are the ones that know this community. Right. But we also know that at least some people in here are going to benefit from this idea that right. has not yet seen, you know, taken right. shape in your community. If it's transit, if it's different infrastructure. Right. Let's talk about those things, and then right. y'all share with us the concerns, the hopes. And, and I personally, I have a personal preference. Just let me know if my idea is not going to work. And I think that's why I think kind of sometimes the city can drop the ball when it comes to community input or listening to community. I think community will just be understanding like, hey, look, I, we've heard you all. We took everything into consideration. However, we have to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And this is not going to happen. Because you're not going to be able to please everybody, regardless. I don't care how great you're playing in. Like you mentioned, it's going to be somebody say, hey, I didn't, I didn't hear about it. I didn't know about it. Or I don't like it because I didn't know about it. And there's going to be some people just don't just disagree with you. But something has to move. Something you, We got to try something. So that's the interesting thing. Year after year after year, if you cut a transit route, mm-hmm. people will scream in pain. If you add transit service... You will get promoted if you're if you're a council member who just right. got to add major mm-hmm. new transit service in your district. Mm-hmm. You're going to shout about it from the rooftops because it's the most popular thing you did that day. Right. Transit's a good thing. Yeah. It's popular. People want it. Right. People want to be near where it's working. I think that's what's stopping, in my estimation, Nashville from being like a world class city. If we can get transit right, like ah, like I was just so spoiled in China. <laughs> Like, like literally, like the country does transit amazing. I've been spoiled everywhere I've lived or traveled <laughs> in the United States. But like, you don't even have yeah, to go yeah, overseas. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, we've we've taken our family to Chicago. We've taken our family out to San Francisco. We've taken our family up to D.C. My brother lives up in Rhode Island. Oh, you know, transit I mean, is just done different. Name name a name a name a city that's slightly bigger right. or slightly smaller than Nashville. I want, I want to end on this, uh, Freddie, because we're going to be here all We could be here all day talking about transit. Because I, really, I really would not like to have a car. Like, just not having to have one. I've done it. You know, you, you can do it. <clears throat> but it's, it's not, not easy. <laughs> and I like conveniency. Yeah. Well, and right now, it's still kind of convenient to have a car. I did it before I had kids. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That's, yeah, that that's, that's a whole different thing. That was one of the keys. And so, um, what has to happen? Right from a city level, community level, I know money, of course, is going to be involved to get the transit that we that we need to get. And, and like you know, we we voted on this, you know, before. And like, are we are we going to be able to make this happen? Yes, we are. You know okay. why? Even with a plan that people knew had probably fatal flaws, mm-hmm. fifty thousand people showed up to vote yes. Right. That's a lot of people. It is. You make that plan considerably better, 80,000 people are going to show up to vote, yes. You know? When is, when is the next time we'll be able to, to vote? Well, that's going to depend on what happens in August <laughs> of next year. I mean, I, what I'd like to personally see is another referendum as soon as November of 2024. So we've got to wake up a years. Well, you've got to do two things. You got to do. Uh, Nashville's got to elect a mayor who wants to do dedicated funding, right? And then that mayor has to put the structure together to go get it at the ballot. So it's either going to be two years, or it's going to be 
five or more years. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And you would you would think that the and that's crazy because you said fifty thousand people. That's more people that came out and voted in the last judicial election. So people care. People they care. care more about transit. Now, now the hard part was you did have some people raise, raise their hands and say no. Right. But a lot. So two things happened. One, some of them were just saying no. We no longer trust any of y'all because right. of what happened with the mayor. Right. And then some of them were saying, "There's some silly stuff in here." Right. Well, we don't think we're going to have that kind of problem again mm -hmm. in terms of the mayor. I think also we're going to have a broader coalition with multiple leaders right. that isn't just dependent on the mayor. And then we're going to have a better plan. Right. When you have all of that working in your favor, I think you're going to have a, a good outcome. And so I plan on having the mayor on here in a couple of weeks. If there's one question that you can give me to ask him about transit or anything that you, you know, you feel is important, you know, what would that question be? Just ask him if he's going to commit to doing dedicated funding in a second term. All right. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make sure I send it to you first. <laughs> On the uncut version. Before it's even out. <laughs> Ready, Doug. This, this is what he said. This is, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. So you're going to get your hopes up anytime. <laughs> nah. But, um, Freddie, I really appreciate this time. And uh, I definitely want to bring you back. Uh, just in our different interview segment series. I think um, I think we need to continuously have this conversation about transit. But also, I think it's really just good, you know, seeing your council members out eating pizza and just having, you know, Look, you man. all are real people. <laughs> well, and that's that's fundamentally it. That's actually been the hardest part of COVID for me is I spent last term, I was, I was present wherever I could possibly be. All right. It's been like, I took a full year where it's like, I just, I wasn't even comfortable inviting people into bigger spaces. Yeah. And now I think things are close enough to a place where at least a lot of people are, are comfortable coming back together. Yeah, and sure. it's, but you know, it's, it's been, it's been hard to shift gears so many right. times, yeah. you know, uh, and try to do the work of council. So I've got, I've got about 15 more months left and I'm, I'm still going to be working. Freddie, how could people reach out to you if they want to ask you more about transit or just council? Like budget is coming up, so I'm pretty sure y'all going to get extremely busy, and you know a lot of organizations are going to be reaching out to you about something that you know needs to be done or not done or whatever it may be. Um, how can people reach out to you, follow with you, just connect with you? Yeah, um, council email is a great starting point. Freddie.oconnell at nashville.gov. That's F-R-E-D-D-I-E.O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L -E 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 at nashville.gov. I'm on social media. You can find me just at Freddie O'Connell, all, all one thing. Um, you know, Facebook too, Freddie for Nashville. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram. I don't, you know, I'm not a, a massive poster, you know. Um, but then, uh, yeah, if, if, if all that's out there, I also, you know, my, my cell phone number is in, on all my cards and on every email I send, and that's just 615 and so are you so your turn your your term is up for council so there will be a seat open for district 19 that is correct and redistricting has meant it's an interesting new district 19 it is it is the east bank now too wow so whoever whoever is in this seat next is going to have that is going to be a busy term um that is river north that is titans that is if wow. something jumps on psc metals do you um 
do you have anybody in mind that you think should run for that seat or endorse it? Has that has that, is it too early for that right now? Two things. One, it's too early. Okay. Uh, two, I always am aware of who I think talented community leaders are, but I think those leaders are better. Like, I'm not going to say, hey, here's my anointed successor. Right. Right. Um, I'm going to encourage people to have conversations with one another and make their choices. And then, right. then whoever runs, runs. And if I look at a field and say, there is somebody here who is clearly in step with the district versus somebody who's clearly out of step. Right. Okay. I may, I may make a choice and, and be vocal at that point. But okay. I mean, that's, that's kind of my thing is if I have, said something publicly about a race then you know my opinion right. if if otherwise it's like then i'm like everybody else and it's kind of like look this is we we go into the ballot box and we make our own choices next step for you really quick um anything more government more any 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 other surprises that we should be expecting from freddie or you know any next uh, steps any any other positions that you're eyeing out there <laughs> Give it to us on Deep Dish now. No? Give it to you on Deep Dish, huh? You want, or is this a breaking news? Yeah, breaking type news. Of we need, yeah, we got to close with the breaking news. Uh, here's what I will say I will say stay tuned. That's, it's not breaking That's news it. for us. That is it. Stay tuned, everybody. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, we appreciate y'all for listening and watching Freddie again. Appreciate you. And he's going to tell me off the air. Because <laughs> I'm going to grill him. He's not leaving without telling me. But, uh, Freddie, thank you so much. Um, you get to take all this wonderful all piece right. home with you. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. Till next time.